Hello there, faithful listeners. <laughs> I am still just in awe that people actually are following along with this podcast and grits in the gospel, and I'm so thankful for each one of you that listens. Um, I am coming to you today, sorry, I'm trying to get settled, um, from a friend's house, and she has two puppies. And so you may hear them scratching at their collars and jingling a little bit. Um, but that's not me. <laughs> that's the pups. That's Bowie and Rocky. So welcome to episode six of Grits in the Gospel. Um, I, as many of you know, as all of you know, I think, I'm in seminary right now. And um, I have had some great revelations and um, mind opening and blowing moments. I think, um, as all of us have, I think that's kind of the point of seminary is to, um, teach you things you didn't know before. Uh, so I was going to go through a couple of those today. Um, I'm calling this episode scripture revelations with Reverend Katie. Not really. Uh, anyway, uh, scripture revelations. So this is kind of a blow your mind episode. If you've never really thought about scripture this way, um, I was extremely blessed throughout my entire education to go to, um, schools that were based, um, off of religions. So my kindergarten, actually my pre-K was at a Baptist church. My kindergarten, elementary, middle, and high was all at a Presbyterian school, um, which, you know, I'm not a frozen chosen, but I do. Um, they really did a good job of showing me some things in that education, faith-based education. I went to a Baptist college where a lot of these kind of things that some of the younger children in my classes are just realizing um, were presented to me there. Um, and so I'm very thankful for my time and my professors, um, especially my New Testament professors at um, Samford University, which is where I went, in that Baptist education. And now, of course, I'm at Candler, which is a Methodist school. So I have had a little bit of everything. And I grew up disciple of Christ. So I am just a hodgepodge. Um but I'm very proud to be firmly United Methodist um, in the end. So um, I just wanted to go through a couple things um, that I have learned so far. And maybe you can learn from them too. Um, the first thing is um, just a basic way to look at scripture. I've kind of, I've known this concept for a very long time. But I was really um, thankful to have this poem by uh, Billy Collins called Introduction to Poetry. And my New Testament professor brought this poem to us and um, gave it to us as a way not just to think of poetry, but to think of scripture. Uh, there's a lot of debate as to where to put the Bible in a genre. Um, as we like to do as humans, we like to categorize things and put things in order and make order out of chaos. But... Um, the Bible's a very different book, <laughs> and it's a lot of different things put together. But I think, and I like the idea that at its heart, it is definitely part biography, it's part 
historical document. It is part ancestry, but at its heart, it's poetry. And I'm going to read this poem to you. And I love this poem. Again, it's by Billy Collins. And when it talks about poetry, think about scripture. I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. Those last two stanzas are very powerful to me. It takes a very sharp, right, dog-leg, right turn. <laughs> what we should do with scripture and what we do with scripture often. What we should do with scripture is read it and look at its context and look at the historical context and think of it as God breathed in everything we do with it. But probe it and look at it and go back to the original Greek and or Hebrew and, you know, really dig into it. Instead, what some people tend to do and what I try not to do is tie it down and force it to be what we want it or need it to be. And when we do that, sometimes we find things that are hard to look at. Sometimes we find things that are hard to process and think about. Um, you know, Paul's not my absolute favorite person when it comes to scripture, but now that I'm starting to look at his writings a little differently, maybe he's right, not just about a few things, but about a lot of things. And so it takes that probing and looking and learning to really get the full picture of scripture, because when we limit it, we limit God and his ability to use it. Um, so I love that poem. I thought I would start off with that. I hope you like it too. Um, another thing that really helped me open my mind and heart to this kind of idea is something my Old Testament professor said in class. You know, we, <laughs> Dr. Kemp is fabulous. Um, and what he said was, we are one earthquake away from discovering all new texts, older texts, scriptures that we never knew existed, things that our current canon is based on. We're just one earthquake away from that. You know, we don't know what other things are out there. The um, scrolls that were found not too terribly long ago um, in the grand scheme of things did not, by the way, change scripture, but solidified it. And so I don't think we should be afraid of that. Um, we should not be afraid of finding new things and looking for, um, you know, one earthquake away should not scare us. It should excite us that it will create all new ways for us to learn about um, this faith that we have in God. And that really helped me also think, well, you know, we, our 
current Bible text is really only based on what we have found so far. And God can reveal us new ancient text whenever he wants. And so I, I love that thought that, yes, our Bible is sacred. And yes, it has been generations of work and in, put into it and verification. And we can trust those scriptures and they are God-breathed. But we are also... We should never be so rigid with it. We should never tie it to that chair so strongly that we cannot um, look at it again in new and different ways. So I'm not sure if all of this is where the whole mind blown thing comes in for some people. But if, if you did or did not know the Old Testament, there is no historical record that lines up with the Old Testament until about the middle of Kings. Those names that are in the first few books of the Bible are nowhere in uh, the kings that are listed, the, the tribes and the people are not listed anywhere in any historical record. And that's kind of where that earthquake thing comes in. We could find that they are some places. We just don't know about it. But if we start to think about scripture in that way, it can be a little unsettling. I don't think those early scriptures are invalid because of that. I don't think they are useless or, you know, whatever negative thing you want to use that for. Some people do. There are two creation stories. There are two flood narratives. But what it should do and what it does for me and what I hope it will do for you is just widen that thought of what scripture is. And while we've come to use it um, as a sacred text that is, um, some people see word for word, told to a person by God to write down, I think that it is a record miraculously survived for thousands of years of how God chose to reveal himself in those early days of mankind. And what a powerful statement that is. That does not negate the scripture, the early scriptures. To me, it makes them more powerful, but in a different way. And when we look through that lens, you know, the poem says when we hold it up to the light and um, look through it kind of through um, a stained glass, a colored glass, we see those things in a new, beautiful way. And I think that's what I really want to propose at its heart of today's episode is be open to the miracles of the word in scripture, in our canon text, and in other texts that are out there. Be open to God using those in your own personal spiritual journey and for the good of his world in new and different ways. Don't be afraid of things that, um, you know, don't exactly line up with history. I, I don't think that those stories are invalid. I don't think those stories didn't happen, but with no um, education like we have now, no um, record keeping like we have now, God used what he had at the time in a beautiful, beautiful way, and he still uses it today. 
Another thing that, um, another question that I have used or heard in my classes in more than one class that I really think is a valid one to ask as we read through scripture is whose voices are not in the scripture. We clearly have records of whose voice is in scripture. I mean, in the New Testament, it's Paul and it's um, Jesus and in the Gospels and um, there's quotes from Peter and different disciples and um, Zacchaeus and all different characters. There are direct quotes. But when you read those texts in the Old Testament as well, Moses and um, certainly Sarah is quoted a lot. Whose voice is not there? So, and this kind of goes with my next point as well. If there are letters to a certain group of people from Paul, what about the letters that they wrote him? Those voices of the people in the church are not there. We know, unfortunately, a lot of women's voices were silenced. We know that there's a whole gap in the life of Christ at the beginning of his childhood that is not documented. So that childlike voice of Jesus is not there. So I think we can learn just as much from who is not there and represented as who is there and represented. And that's an interesting way to look at some of these stories as well. Um, the woman who was um, brought to Jesus to be stoned, I just wrote a paper on this um, and did an assignment on it. She only says three words to Jesus. But she is one of the main characters, but she doesn't have a voice. Her story is not told. And in full, we know what the Pharisees and the scribes had to say about her. But we don't know what she thought about the situation. And so it, um, that voice, even though it is there, the three words are no one, sir. And those are the only words that she speaks in record um, that we have. But what else did she have to say for herself? Was she pleading for her life during this process? They don't say that. They just say that the Pharisees made her stand in front of the crowd at the temple. They don't say what she said when she was caught in the act of adultery. The scripture does not say what the man said who was also with her in that act of adultery. So there are a lot of voices that are left out, and it doesn't mean that the scripture is not fully what it's supposed to be. It just means that sometimes it's interesting to look at who's not there just as much as it is to look at who is there. And that's something that um, is 
a way that I am now more fully trying to read scripture. That was really life altering for me in how I prepare sermons and, and what I look at when I study scripture. Um, and it, it's, it's been interesting to think about how much of that was due to the social hierarchy at the time and how much was due to the inspiration that came to those authors. So it's just an interesting thought. So when you're reading through scripture, always keep that in the back of your mind is whose voice is not there. Who do we not hear from? Who is not in this story that should be? Who's being left out? And that kind of segues into the last point. You know, we as women, the whole women keep silent in the church thing makes us not like Paul very much. But when we look at these letters as one-sided, it helps me understand kind of maybe of the things that we are missing, what is missing in these letters. And again, we're one earthquake away from finding the other side of those letters. I, uh, this Sunday, I think, and I have used them before, I'm going to use as an example some love letters that I have of my great-grandmothers. And they're very old and very delicate, so I don't get them out much. But it is very clear in those letters that there was some... <laughs> angst and um and um turmoil in the early dating life of my great-grandparents and they almost did not end up together i know that not because it says that in the letters but because i can infer that from what is in the letters and do I wish I had his side of those letters? Absolutely. I wish I had the, um, where I have Lucy's letters from Popsy that she kept. I really wish I had Popsy's letters that Lucy sent to him to get the full conversation. But I don't have that. So I have to look at them and infer what happened between letters and look at the dates and Look at the content and where he was in these letters because often they're on, um, some of them are on McAfee Candy Company uh, stationery, but some of them are on hotel stationery from where he was traveling for McAfee Candy Company. And so I have to look at them and kind of fill in the blanks. And sometimes with, I think with Paul's letters, especially, we don't fill in the blanks. We just look at the letter in front of us and we don't think about well, what were the people of Thessalonia doing or Corinth um, or the Romans? Like, what is the other side of these letters? What did they write asking him? What did they say they needed help with? With Timothy, who was a new minister, priest, I don't know, you know, whatever title you want to give Timothy, as someone new in leadership in the early church, what questions was were Timothy, what, what was he sending to Paul in prison? What was in his letters 
How was he asking for help? And if you look at it that way and know that you can never really have the full story, it makes what Paul says come to us through that um, lens of a stained glass, knowing that there are some things that we will never know and some things we have to infer does it mean that there are not important lessons in those letters? Absolutely not. There are very important lessons we need to learn. They are God-inspired and God-breathed. It is very clear that Paul was struggling with things. And I think that's a part of the lesson, too, is that we can see Paul grow in his faith and change his mind about things through these letters. And so we should not be afraid to do the same. Um, so looking at the scripture through all these different lenses, looking for the light switch in the dark, hearing the buzzing of the, the scripture in the hive, uh, as our poem says, uh, my favorite line, um, if you know me well, you know why it is, is that we water ski across the top and wave to the author. Sometimes we do need to just skim across the top and take the lesson that is on the page. But sometimes we need to dive deep into that labyrinth of the scripture and look at what all things we can find as we dig deeper. And so that's my challenge to you this week is when you're looking at scripture, when you're reading scripture, don't just look at the surface. Definitely skim across the top of the water on your water ski. But then dive into it, listen to it, feel it. Um, see it in different and new light because that is where God can inspire you the most. Don't limit him to just the words on the page. So I'm going to close today with, um, uh, again, Paul, I'm going to give him some credit and some love. Uh, Second Timothy, <laughs> he's still helping Timothy out. Second Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May it be so with Timothy and may it be so with us. Thank you, friends, for tuning in today. I look forward to seeing you next week and uh, may the Lord be with you. Amen.